Do you ever have one of those mornings? I had one of those mornings today. I got up early, did some last minute editing of my sermon and uh, printed it out and saved it and emailed it to my office computer where I can use a different printer to format it a little differently so it goes in my Bible. And I got here and um, it wasn't here. And then I went back into my own personal laptop and it wasn't there either. Fortunately, I had printed it out, but it won't go in my Bible, and so hence I use a table like a podium, and you don't care, but I do because it makes me feel a little more restricted, and you don't want your speaker to not feel good because then you feel lousy. So what I would like you to do is to pray for me that I'll have freedom as I speak and that God will use my words to make a difference in you, and I'll pray for you that you'll have ears to hear. So can we just spend a minute in prayer, you for me and me for you? Thanks, Lord. We know you are here already. We pray you'll make your presence manifest, known to us, and that this will be uh, something that nudges us forward in our journey for you. In Jesus' name, amen. I want to give you a pop quiz today, and it's no tests. There's no, there's no grade or anything like that. It's just about dumb phrases you learned as a kid. Your mom either used them with you or some school teacher used them with you. And when you stop and think about them, they don't make much sense. In fact, just listening to the words of them, they go, that's stupid. And yet they communicate something that we're used to. They're called idioms. I bet you can finish this one. I want to hear it if you say it. Try, about, try this one. The early bird gets the early bird gets the worm. Your mom maybe used that with you on a Saturday morning when she was trying to get you out of bed about nine o'clock to go clean the garage. And you, come on, son, the early bird gets the worm. And you go, who wants a worm? Who would eat a worm? And besides, if the early bird got the worm, the early bird already has the worm, and you don't need it by nine o'clock in the morning. You just wanted to roll back over to sleep. But your mom said, come on, son, the early bird gets the worm. You go, okay. I, um, how about this one? She's trying to get you to get up early and then clean the garage and your dad will be happy. And she says, you know, you could kill two birds with one. You could kill two birds with one stone, which begs the question, why would you want to kill a bird at all? And wouldn't Peter get up all in your grill if you did so? But your mom used it because she thought it made sense to her. How about this one? It's raining cats and... Can you imagine if that happened? Can you imagine you're walking out of chapel on the way over to the student center and all of a sudden, bam, bam, St. Bernard and Poodle and German Shepherd just start hammering down to the ground. You know, the Iowa umbrella, which works pretty good, wouldn't really protect you all that much. You know, the, I, I can see the sojourn, you know, plummeting pets, pulverized students. You know, what a headline it would be if, it really did rain cats. Now we know what it says, what it means, but the words themselves just don't make much sense. One last one. It's this. Sticks and stones may break my bones, but what a crock. Sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never hurt me usually said by some seven-year-old girl with tears running down her face because someone has called her something that has hurt her, so she retorts. Words have incredible power. They have incredible power. In Proverbs, it says that, that what we say has the power of life and death. It builds us up. It destroys us. 
tears us down. About a month ago when Dr. Newman announced that uh, I was, the interim title was taken away from my position as dean of the chapel and announced that I'd be the dean of the chapel for a while, he put a picture up on the screen. I want to show it. Let's see if we can see that again. See that guy next to the coach? That's me. I was uh, 18. I weighed 120 pounds. And I was just a massive hunk of a man, you know. I ran cross country and track here at Indiana Wesleyan back when it was called Marion College. And um, I've since had a couple surgeries on my knees and my orthopedic surgeon suggests I not run again. And people say, do you miss running? And I say, not a bit. In fact, I never liked to run. What I liked to do was race. I loved racing. I loved it when you're at the starters line and the gun goes off and you're competing against somebody else. I hated running, all the preparation, getting ready for racing. In track, I loved it. I ran the mile and the half mile and I was in the mile relay team and sometimes would throw in other events. I remember doing a steeplechase and I'd do a quarter mile once in a mile or two mile. And I once even triple jumped because the other team was so bad that I... (laughs) They said, maybe, and so they let me triple jump, and I wouldn't be any threat to anybody on the track team today, but I love track. Track, every event was short enough you could keep your head in the game. I hated cross country. Cross country was four or five miles long, depending, depending on the meet that day, and it was too much like running. It was too far, too long to concentrate, too long to keep focused, and your your mind would wander, and you'd drop back 10 yards or 12 yards or 15 yards, and then you'd have to catch up again. I hated cross country, but I ran it. I remember one particular cross country meet where the power of words made a difference. Now you'd say, why do you remember one? Because a spectator came. And, you know, if you're a cross-country runner, it's, the, the, the course is not generally lined with spectators. We ran at uh, Shady Hills Golf Course in those days up on the north side of town. And it was homecoming my junior year. And um, John Herman came. He was an athlete that lettered in, he, he lettered in soccer and in basketball and in track and in tennis. So he was a pretty well-rounded athlete. And he happened to come to the homecoming home cross-country meet that day my junior year. I'd finished three miles, had another mile to go, maybe probably two-thirds of a mile, half a mile left, and I was starting to notice that I was getting tired, and I was getting bored, and all the kind of stuff, because I hated running, and that was a long way to run. And the guy in front of me was about, I suppose, 70 yards in front of me. And I remember running along and looking back over my shoulder to see how far the guy was behind me. Because what I was beginning to settle to do is to settle. I was going to say, I, I, I don't know that I can catch that guy. I just don't want to be caught by the guy behind me. So I was just settling in to be comfortable. And all of a sudden, there was John Herman standing there next to where we were running. And he shouted out, you can do it, Bray. Go get him. So I did. Because he told me to. 
I picked up my pace. I started to run harder. I used my arms more. I lengthened my stride. My turnover rate was a little faster. And I gradually began to close the gap on this guy. And at first he didn't notice me. And then, then, then as we got to the last turn before the final couple hundred yards straight away, he, I, I don't know if he heard me coming, gasping for breath. I don't know what it was. But, but he heard me and he looked back and saw me coming. He picked up his pace, so I picked up mine more. And we hit that last quarter turn at about the same place. And then side by side, we ran down the finishing straightaway of a couple hundred yards both running as hard as we could run, step by step by step. And at the end, I leaned forward and I beat him to the finish line. Yeah, there you go. My wife's all excited. She happened to come to that race too for the only race she ever attended. And I beat that guy to the finish line for one reason, because John Herman said I could. He was an encourager when I needed it. Maybe that's why I remember it so well. Words have the power to inspire, but they also have the power to destroy, to get in the way. This semester, we've been talking about relationships. Words have an incredible power in relationships. They can build up. They can tear down. They can bring peace. They can create stress. In fact, if I asked you to think about someone recently who said encouraging words to you, who, who built you up, probably a face would pop in your mind. Maybe you remember the exact words be, because they were meaningful to you. Or if I said, how about somebody who cut you down, somebody who hurt you, someone who attacked you, I bet a face would pop into your mind as well because words have lasting power in our lives. But today, I don't want to talk to you about what to do when the other guy speaks. I don't want to talk to you about what it's like to be on the receiving end of their words. What I want to do is, talk, is ask you to consider what we're talking about through the filter of this question. What's it like to be on the other side of me? What's it like to be on the receiving end of my words? And as we work our way through a passage of Scripture in Ephesians chapter 4, that's what I want you to wrestle with. When I speak, what's it like to be on the other side of me? Ephesians chapter 4. The Bible has a lot to say about what we say and how we say it. And here in chapter 4, beginning in verse 29, Paul writes to us. He says, don't use foul or abusive language. Let everything you say be good and helpful so that your words will be an encouragement to those who hear them. Do not bring sorrow to God's Holy Spirit by the way you live. Remember, he has identified you as his own, guaranteeing that you'll be saved in the day of redemption. Get rid of all bitterness, rage, anger, harsh words, and slander, as well as all types of behavior. Instead, be kind to each other, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, just as God through Christ has forgiven you. Imitate God in everything you do. Because you are his dear children. Live a life filled with love. Following the example of Christ. He loved us and offered himself as a sacrifice for us. A pleasing aroma to God. Now as we talk about this, remember. What's it like to be on the other side of me? And here's the first question I want to engage. Is I think suggested by this. And that's simply this. Do my words benefit them? Does what I say benefit the other person. This is not a question we usually ask. 
We have the natural tendency to filter life through our own eyes, through our own thoughts, through our own emotions, through our own feelings. What will make me feel good? What will make me be respected? What will make people think I'm funny if I'm trying to be funny? Uh, what, what will make them think I'm smart? What will make them think I'm wise? How can I impress them? Sometimes how can I get back at that person for what they did to me? Without even thinking we filter life through our own perspective. That happened to me the other day. I was at a dinner meeting. It was a social event. There were several of us around the table. We just began telling stories. And I told one. And then someone else told another. And then someone else told one. And someone told a story that was actually pretty good and pretty funny. But I immediately, as she told that, began thinking of a story that would top that. Do you ever do that? You ever find yourself, you think, that's funny, let me show you. You know, to, to, to bring a funnier story yet, to make it, I mean, everybody laughs and everybody likes it, but it's just making you look good. And I found myself um, disengaging from her story a little bit, thinking up, what story will I tell next? And, and, and then as she tells her story, it's just like I get this nudge from the Holy Spirit. Saying, why are you doing that? Why are you trying to prove that you're smarter or funnier or wittier or whatever that might be. Why can't you just enjoy her story? And why can't you let her enjoy her story? And for goodness sake, why don't you just shut up? I don't think the Holy Spirit said for goodness sake. But I do remember, don't tell the story. And so I didn't. And that was a good nudge from the Lord for me. Because adding my story to the mix wouldn't have encouraged her, wouldn't have helped her. And I'm supposed to speak so that my words will be good and helpful and be an encouragement to those who hear them. Have you ever gone on a date and realized right away that it wasn't working? You know, I was, I was in Martin the other night, and they asked me to share an experience that w with, with a girl that was bad or awkward. And I told them about a date I went on when I was back in college before I met Patty, where I actually forgot the girl's name. <laughs> Tell you, this was not a good date. We're, we're at a movie, fortunately, because we're not in conversation. And, and I'm just starting to go alphabetically through the list of names of women I, I know, you know, Anne, Abby, you know, hoping that I might hit on one that sounded vaguely familiar that I could call her and never did. I've been on that date. You know it's not going well. You know it's not going to go well. You know it's a first date, last date, only date you're ever going to have with this person. Some of you have had that date and uh, it, it's awkward and you're just kind of waiting for it to be over. A couple of weeks ago, I had a sermon something like that. It was actually in this room, and um, it was during Admitted Students Weekend, and on Saturday, the place was just filled and alive and buzzing with, with you know, four or 500 students and their parents, and some with their grandparents and siblings, and the, the, the whole lower level was filled, so I'm anticipating that on Sunday morning when we have the, the, the Admitted Student Weekend worship service, that it's going to be like that, and I walk in and realize that two-thirds of them have gone home. And so there are about 200 people in the room, and they didn't all gather up in the front. They were scattered everywhere. 
So they were just out there somewhere. It was like you'd speak and you'd hear echo, 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 echo. No energy in the room at all. And I'm bringing everything I can to it. And I'm bringing energy and passion and excitement and zeal and all this kind of stuff. And I'm getting nothing back. And I'm thinking, isn't this ever going to be over? And you know when the speaker's wondering if it's ever going to get over? The audience is usually in a bad way. But I preached the sermon that I thought the Lord wanted me to preach. And I got done and felt like it was a bad date. And then a little while later, the person in charge of the weekend came up to me and she said, that was perfect. (laughs) I wanted to say, were you in the same place I was? But what she got out there was different than what I felt here. And that word was an encouraging word that I needed that day. Do you offer that to anybody else? Are you that kind of person who can bring that encouraging word? What's it like being on the other side of you? Do your words help each other? Do you even think about helping them? This semester we've been speaking about relationships. Love God, love the other guy. Words do more than communicate ideas or, or, or populate lectures to fill up time. They, they encourage hearts or discourage hearts. Your words build others up or they tell them they don't matter. So what's it like being on the other side of you? How, do you, how often do you even put that filter in place in your life? This isn't just my idea. God says be an encouragement. So are you? Here's a second question to consider on this. What's it like being on the other side of me thing? Do my words honor God? Now I understand that I'm a few years older than most of you. In fact, I'm a few years older than almost all of you. Not just a few. But there are some things I've noticed we share in common. It is not hair. You have it and I don't. And it's not a bank balance. I have it and you don't. (laughs) I think what we share, at least I share with some of you, is the unfortunate gift of sarcasm. That capacity to do the quick verbal jab that gets into the side of somebody else. Some of us are especially good at that. Some others are good about speaking of others, but not in positive ways. Maybe maybe gossiping. Or maybe you're good at the insult or the quick put-down. Sometimes we engage our mouths, quite honestly, without engaging our brains. And we say something, and later we think, did I really say that? And we regret it. In the Bible, in this section that we read, it says, don't. Don't bring sorrow to the Holy Spirit. Don't grieve the Holy Spirit. So what does that have to do with what you say with your words? Well, here's the deal. God loves you. He really, really loves you passionately. He's deeply committed to your well-being. He really is. But take a look at the people around you. Just go ahead and say, look at three or four people. Just look at them. Some of you are going, whoa, they could have showered today. 
And some of you go, wow, they must have a speech today or something because they're looking really good. Whatever it is, you've got people surrounding you. And you know what God thinks about them? He loves them too. And we filter life through our sense of our own experience and our own presence and what's good for us and what makes us happy and what makes us good. But God loves them equally as much as to how he loves you. And when we put them down, when we destroy them, when we gossip about them, when we insult them, when we hurt them, it is like we are insulting God or hurting God or putting him down. What's it like being on the receiving end of your words? And I'm guessing some of you are thinking, come on, John, I'm just joking. I don't mean anything by it. I'm not sure how true that is. Because I think a lot of times there is this subtle reality working in our lives that says if I put you down and everybody laughs, that somehow makes me look better. And I don't elevate myself by getting bigger. I elevate myself in some ways by trying to make you look smaller. And it doesn't work. It destroys, it ridicules someone that God loves passionately. When someone with a little more popularity or a little more power does that, when they do the same thing to you, it stings, it hurts. Why wouldn't it hurt that other person when you do it? Don't discount the power of words. You have the power of life and death in what you say. So what's it like being on the other side of you? Here's another question. Do my words reflect grace? Do my words reflect grace? Get rid of all bitterness, rage, anger, harsh words, and slander, as well as all types of evil behavior. Instead, be kind to each other, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, just as God through Christ has forgiven you. Here's a fact. Other people will mess up, and you have to figure out how to respond. I remember years ago, as a young pastor, I took my car into the car dealership for a repair a couple things were wrong with it and I dropped it off and that day at the end of the day I had Patty bring me back to the dealership and the car was sitting exactly where I had left it and I wasn't sure that they had fixed it so I said just hang here for a second I'll go in and make sure it's okay and I went in and they said yes they had fixed two things and they charged me for two things and I went out and got in the car and started it up and immediately it was instantly apparent that they hadn't fixed one of the two things that they had just charged me for So I waved Patty down and she stopped. I said, just a second, I need to go in and straighten this out. And I went in and I said, you didn't fix it. And they said, yes, we did. And I said, no, you didn't. And they said, yes, we did. And and it escalated a little bit. I got a little uptight and he got a little uptight. And then I got a little more uptight and he got a little more uptight. And voices got tense. and, And we weren't screaming at each other, but it wasn't going well. I finally just kind of slammed the keys down on his desk and said, You can work on it tomorrow. And he said, okay. And I walked out and got in the car. And I don't know whether it was my posture or the steam coming out of my ears or I don't know what it was. But Patty said, how'd it go? (laughs) And I explained how inadequate that they had been at the car dealership. And she asked me a question that literally, I I mean, it's been 30, 30 years, 35 years. I still remember the question. I still ask it of myself again and again and again because I still need to hear it. She said, could you go back in there right now and invite that guy to church? I said, well, I could. He wouldn't come. 
but I could. I had left words in such a way that didn't reflect grace, that reflected badly on the Savior. I'd love to tell you I've mastered this, but I will confess I'm still a work in progress. I'm much better, I'm aware. I try to ask myself, are my words reflecting Christ well? I'm disciplined with it, but just yesterday I had a conversation with somebody that didn't go all that well. Now, I was standing with some people, and the guy came up and interrupted us, and we had this conversation, and when he walked away, um, he walked away in a bit of a huff, and I kind of chased him to say, let's settle this, let's be at peace with this. And when I got back to the circle of friends I was standing with, they said, you, you handled that amazingly. And yet, yesterday afternoon, as I was thinking about these words, the Lord just nudged me and said, you need to write him a letter of apology. I tried to answer emotion with logic, and usually answering emotion with logic doesn't work all that well. And so I wrote him a note. Because being on the other side of me yesterday, even though I wasn't intentionally difficult or negative, he, he was frustrated. And I, as a follower of Christ, need to offer grace. So I did. When people hurt you, or when they disrespect you, or disagree with you, or get upset with you, how do you react? What's it like being on the other side of you? One last question. Do my words remind anybody of Jesus? Paul writes, imitate God, therefore, in everything you do, because you are his dear children. Live a life filled with love, following the example of Christ. He offered he loved us and offered himself as a sacrifice for us. Do your words remind anybody of Jesus? Now, I'm not asking you to walk around and go, verily, verily, I say unto thee. You know, you don't have to speak King James. But is there something about your attitude? Is there something about your spirit? Is there something about your disposition that, that might make anybody say, they remind me of somebody. They remind I wonder if that's a little bit what Jesus was like. I love what Mother Teresa said. She said, let no one ever come to you without leaving better and happier. Be the living expression of God's kindness. The living expression of God's kindness. Kindness in your face. Kindness in your eyes. Kindness in your smile. And I would add kindness in your words. What's it like being on the other side of you? That's the question I want to leave with you today. And I want to give you an assignment. Now, it's not an assignment that I get the grade. Chapel is not an academic exercise where I give you an A or a B or a C. Some of you go, whew. It's an assignment to ask three people. And God, too, I suppose. Three people and God. That exact question. What's it like being on the other side of me? What's it like hearing my words? What's it like hearing what I say about you and to you? And if they answer in any way that challenges you or seems difficult or is less than wonderful, where, where, where it's not all that great, don't get defensive and don't argue back. Just take that to the cross. Apologize if you need to. Make that commitment to being a little more like Jesus in what you say and how you act. Let me close with one last story. I think my coach figured out I didn't like running. 
never did this on a track meet, but at cross country, every Saturday morning he did. A few minutes before the race, we'd already done our warm-up, run out a mile or two just to get everything loose. We're focusing, getting ready, and he would walk up to me, Coach May, and he'd stand right in front of me and look at me eye in the eye, and he'd tap me on the chest, and he'd say, you can do this. We need you. You can do this. And the gun went off, and I ran the race. And I know sometimes with our words, they're out before we give much thought. But we can ask the Holy Spirit to help us with that filter. We can ask the Holy Spirit to help soften our heart because it's out of the overflow of the heart that the mouth speaks. And I want to tell you, you can do this. We need you. The kingdom of God needs you. The world needs you. What's it like being on the other side of you? Is there kindness? Is there grace? Is there mercy? Is there joy? We need you. Lord, we bow before you and ask that the words of our heart and the meditations of our mind might be acceptable in your sight. May we speak in ways that honor you, that build others up, that offer grace. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. God bless you. Go change the world for him.